Welcome to Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture, with me, your host, Esther Rini. In this week's episode, I'll be explaining how the Holocaust happened. Hi friends, and welcome to the seventh episode of Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture. We are the second week into December and I know for some of you listening, I think the lockdown has lifted a little bit in the UK. So now you're on, depending on what tier you're on, you can enjoy some of the December festivities. Um, here in Berlin, we're still we're still in our lockdown light, lockdown 2.0. Um, and it's actually been extended till the 10th of January. So that's that. Um, as we're seven episodes in, I realised that I should talk, maybe a little, start talking a little bit about what's to come next. So I have a ton of topics that I want to cover for this podcast, um, obviously Holocaust and genocide related, but I, di- I did just think I would put it out there to the audience and to people who are listening to say that if you do have any suggestions or any topics or any kind of direction that you would like the podcast to go in or focus on, I am very much open to suggestions. I can't promise that I'm 100% going to cover what you want straight away, but I do want to get um, listeners involved because as much as I have an interest, I'm interested in what you actually want to hear about. Um because I could literally talk about anything um but yeah the next series will obviously have a theme like this one so this this series was just to get a basics of the understanding of the holocaust now we can start to go a little bit deeper a little bit more complex a little bit more I don't know obscure if you want in your in the direction that we go so if you have any suggestions or anything that you're intrigued about that you are interested to hear about, then please do email me at um, info at withoutthefootnotes.org or you can send me a DM via Without the Footnotes. Even the smallest suggestion like, I don't know, I want to hear about the role of women in the Holocaust or um, can you explain a little bit more about what genocide is or other examples of genocide? Um, there's no question too big, small, smart, dumb, like there's quite literally no judgment from my end. Um, I'm just really intrigued to to hear what interests you, basically. Um, so yeah, so that I'll be planning that over the next few weeks as to what um, I'm going to cover in the next kind of series of podcasts um yeah and think that that's the important stuff that I have to get out what have I been doing over the last week altogether nothing much um I did have breakfast for dinner today that was cool <laughs> um and I'm just enjoying a nice drink whilst I sit and casually podcast uh yeah this week's episode is about um is going I'm going to explain how the holocaust happened um and just kind of explain it as kind of bringing together what we've heard over the last few episodes and kind of like chronologically somehow explain how this all came about I obviously can't go into the intricacies of how it actually happened because that would take 
years of audio I would think um, because it was so vast and spread so widely across Europe but I am going to summarise it for you today. So if you're ready go grab yourself a cup of tea, settle in, cosy up and let's talk about how the Holocaust happened. So, hey-ho, here we go. Um, Right, so the easiest way to understand the Holocaust is step-by-step because it was such a huge, monumental genocide. If we think about the, the continent of Europe and this genocide being perpetrated across it, that's a quite incredible thing to try to grasp of how how that all worked. So it's so basically it's so huge we have to break it down. So the easiest way to do that is to break it into time frames. So the first time phrase time frame or phase that we have is between 1933 and 1939 in Nazi Germany. So during this time, Germany is not at war. So this can be understood as a preparation stage. And it's during this period that Jewish people were really defined as the other. So the Nuremberg Laws, which made discrimination against Jews legal, defined who was and wasn't a Jew and on top of that propaganda was used so books movies posters radio like all kinds of media to portray Jewish people as inferior to Aryans so it was once these laws came into place that Jewish people could then be separated from mainstream society and therefore isolated so there, is, so there at that time was a lot of exclusion happening um, Jewish people not being allowed to go to school um, being able to sit in be able to go to the park um, go to cinema, cinemas stuff like that so kind of like segregation in America Jewish people were slowly being pushed out of everyday um, society and their businesses were taken over Doctors and lawyers and the like had their licenses revoked or taken away. And the government was slowly discouraging Germans from socially interacting with Jewish people on any level. So Jewish people, after that, Jewish people then being encouraged to leave Germany, whether this is done through um, promoting immigration or immigration laws or through out and out fear so if you remember me speaking to you about Kristallnacht after that happened because of the way that Jewish people were targeted so synagogues were burnt to the ground I actually walked past um like down at the end of my road like near the canal there used to be the synagogue of Kreuzberg and um, there's like a memorial plaque there and it was actually targeted during Kristallnacht and burnt um so if anyone happens to visit Berlin you can actually go and you can actually go and visit that site and kind of put all the pieces together how this happened in like people's neighborhoods like 
people's neighbours were going out and looting and um, smashing up shop windows and businesses and helping to burn synagogues and all of that stuff. So that obviously instilled a lot of fear within Jewish communities and they would... um, they would then um, try to leave, try to leave Germany because they saw the the situation getting worse for them. Not only had they slowly been pushed out of day-to-day life, but now they were being violently targeted also. And because of all the propaganda and everything that went along with it and the kind of gradual um, way that it had, had been done, how Jewish people had been othered within society, people that they knew were joining in and going along with it. So it was obviously quite terrifying to try to stay in a place where you're clearly not wanted. Um, So this is what has happened. This is what happens in Germany. And this is kind of the blueprint that as Germany invades and occupies each individual country, they then implement these uh, laws and policies to the country they are now occupying so as they go across Europe Jewish people from different countries are subjected to these new like laws and rules that ostracize them and other them and they therefore try to leave what the Nazis are trying to establish as the Third Reich so this um this approach really can be translated into the countries that the Nazis then occupy. And the way that they they targeted Jewish people meant that some like some people did actually leave. And fun fact or a quick, I don't know if it's fun, a quick fact for you. Albert Einstein himself actually fled Germany to the US via Belgium and the UK as he was targeted for being an intellectual. So he obviously Jewish and he was he was considered as much the enemy as any other um, like Jewish person so his books appeared on on lists of books that the Nazis had that should be burnt because they were written by Jewish people um he was also I think um put on put on a list of like wanted or like targets for being kind of like a prominent Jewish figure um, living within Germany that they just didn't want there Um, and luckily he managed to escape and he actually um, migrated to the US but a lot of people didn't have the means to do that so a lot of people actually had to stay behind and they couldn't they couldn't um, you know just up upheave their whole lives and just move to another country and it's also worth noting that countries weren't um I mean much like today they weren't encouraging Jewish immigration either they weren't opening their borders because Jewish people were being persecuted um so it wasn't easy for people to leave uh so then we move into phase two, which is 1939 to 1941. And this is the next phase, largely due to the war. So this is when Nazi Germany really is having their expansion boost. And as the war starts, there's this huge increase in violence. And Jewish people are actually 
forced during this period to relocate to ghettos. So these are segregated sections of cities um, across Europe. So part of a city, say we're in Berlin, um, part of the city would be cordoned off and all Jewish people would be forced to go and live in this area that was usually really, really small. Um, And just a quick rundown of how the Nazis invaded countries across Europe. So in 1938, Austria and parts of the then Czechoslovakia were um, invaded and occupied. Then in 1939, the whole of Czechoslovakia and Poland. Um, In 1940s, in 1940, sorry, it was the Netherlands, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, Luxembourg, France, Hungary and Romania that was invaded and occupied. In 1941, it was Yugoslavia, Greece and parts of the Soviet Union. So you can really start to understand like the expanse and the kind of like the geographical nature of how much of Europe and parts of the Soviet Union that the Nazis occupied and we so we're talking millions of people are now subject to um Nazi ideology and policies and laws so the ghettos actually were a um important part of the genocidal process um because forcibly removing and segregating um Jewish people into sections of European cities and not allowing them to to leave meant that they were then completely at the mercy of the government. So they would be living in extreme poverty. They didn't have enough food or water, water or even enough room to live. Whole families would be allocated one room. There was no proper sanitation. Um, Jewish people would be forced to work so forced labor um they'd be forced to work for free um and it also meant because all of these people were now concentrated into one area when it came for the time for the ghettos to be liquidated which is when all of the residents were then deported out of these cities to various camps whether that was for forced work or to be killed murdered um this means this allows the Nazis to kind of take a real sinister turn in their treatment of Jewish people. So from phase one, which is kind of like pushing them out of the mainstream, we now go into phase two, where they're like concentrated into areas and then can then, whenever the policies come in, be moved out of those concentrated areas to wherever they should be sent pretty easily so it meant that Jewish people had now become extremely vulnerable and at basically at the complete mercy of the government um, and that's when the Holocaust then moves into phase three which I spoke about on the last episode so the final solution so this goes this runs from late 1941 to late 1944 um so yes in this stage that we have um the Einsatzgruppen so the death squads and the holocaust by bullets and the establishment of the function of the death camps and this was also a really really intense period where Jewish people were subject to extermination through work so once um 
so within this stage this is when all the deportations are happening and Jews are transported from the ghettos to concentration camps and death camps or or forced labor camps um and this network of camps which I'm sure most of you listening will understand or have some idea of concentration camps or the camp system as I prefer to call it um because it was this huge network of different kinds of camps so it was so this this network was spread across all of Nazi occupied Europe so all of the countries that I mentioned that um the Nazis invaded and occupied operated some kind of camps within them and I'm talking thousands upon thousands of them across Europe and these camps actually operated outside of the law and the system consisted of not only concentration camps but labor camps death camps prisoner of war camps and transit camps feel like I'm saying camps a lot but I kind of have to um and this is where people were held whilst they um transit camps in particular was where people were held whilst they were awaiting deportation to these other camps so this network is so big and it is targeting so many people across Europe that specific camps have to be made to hold people to await deportation to then either be killed or worked to death basically um so there was some kind of like morbid waiting room and within this system there are many different prisoners and everybody was categorized so this this um camp system wasn't purely made for jewish people the death camps were but this actual whole system of of um forced labor and concentration actually um targeted political um political people uh asocials so people who were seen as um undesirable like um homeless people jehovah's witnesses homosexuals roma prisoners of war um and within this system there was a hierarchy of prisoner and of all the prisoners that could potentially be in one particular camp jewish people were ranked as the lowest of the low um so all of this doesn't happen without administration right and as the nazis advanced across europe collaboration had to be used in order to implement the not only the final solution but to be able to administer and run all of these camps so whether this was done willingly or not the final solution and all of this forced labor and the transportations and the rounding up of people required collaboration or at least complacency or some kind of people had to be complicit in in what was happening and this included the local populations as much as it did the governments now i'm not saying that everybody was just like yeah of course i'll help you um the nazis as we know were in intensely violent with people but it wasn't done alone and it wasn't done without coercion or or even at the same time people being willing to 
you know, point out and round up communities of Jews and help them be deported to somewhere. Um, but that's a whole episode in itself of um, what this looked like because because the Holocaust was spread across so many different countries. It unfolded in different ways in different countries. Um, however, we do need to understand how such a large large system was able to be coordinated by Nazi Germany. So are you ready to geek out on how this massive system was administered? I'm going to read you a quote. This is from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. So SS chief Heinrich Himmler um, centralised concentration camps uh, that held prisoners under orders of protective custody custody originally under an agency called the Inspectorate of Concentration Camps, the IKL. And Himmler appointed the then Dachau concentration camp commander, Theodor Eicher, as chief of the IKL. And this is before the war. So um, some camps were established within Nazi Germany, um, actually starting from 1933 onwards. And what Himmler does is then um, centralise the camps that have been established under one uh, person and or organisation. And um, this is where the infamous SS come in. So named for the insignia that they wore on their uniform collar, like on the lapels, the SS Death's Heads Units, yep, Death's Heads, um, later called SS Death's Head Battalions and eventually regiments, um, commanded, administered and guarded the the concentration camps. And they became renowned for their cruelty towards the prisoners. And I'm sure, you know, you've seen films, you've seen documentaries, or you may or you may not have, you've probably seen photos and imagery these units were specifically trained to guard these camps in a certain way and the the types of people that were targeted it wasn't like it wasn't a free-for-all it wasn't anybody can just come and um come and guard these camps they actually had programs and they uh, pro- training programs and they targeted specific people namely um i don't know um how to describe it like c grade students people who hadn't like finished school they were then like recruited they were recruited into the ss as like really important like they get, they got a lot of status a lot of power and they were trained to specifically do this job and guard these camps in a certain way um so when people kind of question like don't understand how people could be so cruel we can kind of see from the progression of episodes um and my explanations of like how jewish people were kind of othered to a point and then this system gets developed and slowly they're phased out of society and concentrated and then in and then um deported into the camp system in whatever capacity you then on the other side have this nazi ideology if you remember me remember me explaining the totalitarian um 
command that is coming from the government down onto the people. And then in order to fit into this new Germany and and to work toward and obviously the war is a factor and then to be pushing towards establishing the Third Reich. Um people were targeted specifically for these positions and they were trained into them and Jewish people were already seen as already dehumanized and already seen as something that could be gotten or should be gotten rid of in order for the Third Reich to succeed. Um, Now, obviously, that's a very simplified um, explanation of what was happening in that time period. Of course, there was resistance there were people that went into hiding in different countries um the the persecution happened at different speeds in different ways there were countries where governments refused to assist the nazis of course um but in terms of understanding the holocaust as a genocide that period was the really intense violent killing period where Jewish people were exclusively sought after to either put into this camp system somehow or killed. Um, In the final phase, so by January 1945, Germany is losing the war. So we actually have the last like real horrid thing that the Nazis actually did to Jewish people that had actually survived up until this point and as the allies are advancing and liberating camps across Europe so actually Auschwitz was liberated in January January 27th um, of 1945 so that that's you know four months before Germany surrenders and um, the war is officially over um, yeah so as as the Nazis come to realise that they're actually, you know, losing the war and they have to retreat back to Germany. They actually take all the survivors of these camps and march them towards Germany. So these were called death marches. And um, I'm just going to read you a quote again from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Obviously can't get enough. Um of what actually happened on these marches. So, quote, during these death marches, the SS guards brutally mistreated prisoners. Following their explicit orders, they shot hundreds of prisoners who collapsed or could not keep pace on the march or who could no longer disembark from the trains or ships. Thousands of prisoners died of exposure, starvation and exhaustion. Forced marches were especially common in late 1944 and 1945, as the SS evacuated prisoners to camps deeper within Germany. Major evacuation operations moved prisoners out of Auschwitz, Stutthof and Grossrosen, westward towards Buchenwald, Flossenburg and Dachau and Sachsenhausen in winter 1945 to 19... 1944 to 1945 from Buchenwald and Flossenburg to Dachau and Matthausen in spring 1945 and from Sachsenhausen and Neuengamme northwards towards the Baltic Sea in the last weeks of the war 
As Allied forces advanced into the heart of Germany, they liberated hundreds of thousands of concentration camp prisoners. This included thousands of prisoners whom Allied and Soviet troops liberated while they marched on the forced evacuations. So as they were marching, prisoners were even liberated then. Um, To almost the last day of the war, German authorities marched prisoners to various locations in the Reich. As late as May 1st, 1945, prisoners who had been evacuated from Neuengamme to the North Sea coastline were loaded onto ships. Hundreds of them died when the British bombed the ships a few days later, thinking that they carried German military personnel. End of the quote. So it's actually estimated that around 250,000 people died on these marches or that were... um, died on these forced marches during the last months of the war and also it's worth saying that many liberated prisoners who were left behind in the camps or liberated before being forced onto these marches um, also actually died due to their sustained brutal treatment at the hands of the SS Um, so liberation did not necessarily mean survival for a lot of people also and that is actually the the final phase of this genocide that even as the germans were losing the war jewish people were not seen as something that could just be left behind to survive or to be kind of handed over to the allies himmler himself actually um kind of thought that he could use jewish people to levy some sort of um some sort of bargain like as a bargaining chip to get himself out of hot water he thought he could use Jewish people in in exchange for I don't know what um so really the the complete and utter ultimate goal of this regime was to annihilate Jewish people there's no way around it there's none of these kind of policies are kind of accidental it's a um, very very systematic way of doing it even though when you look into it really deeply especially the camp system because it was so fast different different people were imposing different things in different places but ultimately the kind of general summary that we can get on it uh, get of it was it was an for Jewish people was a genocidal system and the Roma also but um I will I think it's next next week's episode that I'm talking about other victims of um the Nazis but um yeah in terms of the Holocaust this was a complete and utter intentional attempt at completely complete annihilation of Jewish people And there we have it. I have broken down how the Holocaust happened, basically. Um, Very, very simplified. So I will be doing, obviously, a lot more on this how it happened kind of thing. And I'm really, really interested in, like, the psyche of perpetrators. Um, Also, bystanders, rescuers, um, victims' stories also, survival stories, um, yeah so there's a lot a lot to unpack but the basics are just to understand it in phases and that I hope I have explained to you today um in terms of actual sorry I keep moving my face away from the microphone so I'm looking at my bookshelf in terms of recommended reading reading 
I would suggest two seconds. Don't know why I said two seconds because I could just stop recording. Um, I think if you really want to understand the history of the Nazi concentration camps and that whole system, I would highly recommend Nikolaus Waxman. Waxman. You have to really excuse my pronunciation today because I just can't. Um, Nikolaus, spelt N-I-K-O-L-A-U-S. Wax, Waxman. <laughs> W-A-C-H-S-M-A-N-N. Um, and it's called KL, A History of the Nazi Concentration Camps. It is a hefty book, but one I would recommend for your shelves because it actually won... Um, a Wolfson History Prize and it's the only it's the only like complete history of the entire system that I've come across um obviously there has been a, a ton of research done into individual camps um but he kind of goes over it all um yeah it's a very dense book it's like 900 pages but that's obviously including notes and the glossary of the index or whatever. But um, if you want to geek out on it and you want to know the intricacies of the camp system and how the leaderships, how the leadership changed, how they utilised it for different things, what that, what it meant at different, um, different points um in correlation to the phases of the holocaust that i've just explained here then i would highly recommend that book i think it's also available it's available obviously in hard copy but um you can get it on what's that thing called like an ebook or a kindle also if you don't want some hefty book um so yeah i think i'll leave it there for today um as ever please um rate review subscribe tell your friends um do all of that podcasty stuff that helps me get some visibility and reach more people um it is greatly greatly appreciated don't forget that you can dm me or send me an email info at without the footnotes.org or just at me on instagram at without the footnotes if you have any interest any questions anything at all i promise you anything you send me is gonna put a big smile on my face and i'm gonna be super interested and hyped to either read what you have to say or maybe think about doing some episodes on based off of your interests um so yeah i hope you enjoyed the episode episode today and i will catch you next time oh and i this week i have to feed my cake it's time my cake needs a drink my christmas one um yeah i'll catch you next week ciao